This is the Cascadia Podcasters Podcast, and I am Jason Rigdon. On this episode, we have Colby Spencer from Ventropolis. How are you today? Hello, I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Could you tell me a little bit about your show? I sure can. So um, my podcast is called Ventropolis. Uh, it's a little play on Vancouver's name, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, where I live. Um, and Ventropolis uh, is really about the Vancouver film industry. So for those that don't know, the industry is pretty massive here. Um, I think, you know, there were about 450 productions last year, um, and wow. which was $3.4 billion for the British Columbia economy, and that employed about 60,000 workers. So this is all going on around us, um, and we all know people that work in film and television here. You can't really miss it. There's trailers on every street and productions blocking off roads, but a lot of people don't understand or have a great curiosity about what happens behind the scenes on sets, what's it like working with actors, what are all the roles. So I had that same curiosity. Um, and so I started this podcast to really dig into that, to meet the people that work in film and television here in Vancouver and get their stories and and understand more of kind of what that what that heartbeat is um, in our city and how it works. Yeah, like you said, I'm, I think I'm here in Seattle. And I think some of us in the area don't really realize how gigantic the film and movie industry is up there. Yeah. I mean, we used to be called Hollywood North. I would definitely say um, that kind of quaint description of us has, has sort of been shelved for a really, uh, you know, a seat at the table in, in that film industry. I think Los Angeles, Toronto, New York, and Vancouver are probably the top four in North America. Um, I know Georgia and places like that have started coming up, but uh, yeah, we, we have a huge industry here. And I think, you know, because the Canadian dollar, there's savings as well as tax credits uh, that we offer. It's just become more and more popular um, it, to the point that when everything's gearing up in the summer, we're kind of in a hiatus season right now. Uh, so a lot of film workers are stressed and don't know what to do with their spare time. Uh, they're all walking around in days wondering what to do. Um, but once that gears up, it, we actually run out of workers often. You know, there's the union halls looking for people, new people get a chance. So yeah, it's crazy busy. And so what kind of people are you talking to on this show? You know, I'm talking to anybody that will talk to me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, it's pretty new, uh, my podcast. Uh, I'm only about three episodes in and I've done an intro to kind of explain everything. Um, but I, I started with my husband who's worked in film for 20 years uh, in lighting. So we started there. Well, that was easy and safe. And we had obviously a great rapport and I could pull out stories from him. So that was a really easy one to mine information from. Uh, and then I moved on to my brother who works in craft service. Um, I've talked to uh, television, like a, a commercial director, uh, a professional actor here in Vancouver. I've got a director of photography, aka cinematographer scheduled for next week. Um, yeah, I mean, the sky's the limit here. There's everything from drone operators to costumes, makeup, like I'm really excited to kind of get a slice of life from as many roles uh, as I can, really. And so what motivated you to do this show? You know, I'm naturally nosy about film. I, I Again, it's all around us here. And I'm one of those people, and I joke in the podcast, I'm like the stalker on the street looking at sets and trying to see who's who's there, if they're famous, what kind of stuff's going on, watching the ins and outs and, and how they kind of run a set. Uh, so I had a great passion for it. And I think watching my husband work in film, you know, getting a lot of experience going to rap parties and being able to visit sets and kind of learn about film that way. I, I really enjoyed it. And I thought if I was nosy about it from a, from a total layman's perspective, it's not an expert podcast in any sense. I, I come at it very uh, honestly and innocently and just ask those burning questions that I want to know. 
Um, so that kind of drove me to think if I feel this way, there's probably a million people in the city that would love to know more um, about how it works, whether that's them wanting to get into it um, or just under, understanding kind of that behind the scenes uh, way of, of a film set, because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about how it works, how hard it is, uh, you know, how taxing it can be on your health and your sleep. Um, it's a bit glorified. And so I wanted to kind of get the truth from the people that are working in it every day. Yeah, because it's something I was kind of surprised listening to your first episode, you know, how hard the job really is. And when you think about it, it makes sense. It's so big. Yeah. And the hours are insane. That They're famous. Like the, the film industry is notoriously famous for long hours. I mean, 12 hours is probably the shortest you're ever going to get on a set. Um for TV and film. And that is just the, that's just the base, you know, then you're into time and a half and overtime and doing that day in and day out is so draining and you just, you can't keep it up. You know, once you have a family, uh, we have a, my husband and I have a, a five-year-old, you know, you have to really, you have to take some concessions, whether that's working a little bit less, taking a bit more time off, kind of balancing your hopes and dreams together so that everybody gets a chance to do what they need to do. Because it is all encompassing. It will take everything from you because it's it's nonstop here. And the money is really good because the hours are so long. Um, so it can, you know, if you don't have any balance or, or other anybody to go home to, it's easy to just live your life on set. And what made you choose to use podcasting as like the medium for this project? I mean, maybe you could do it on YouTube or maybe even a blog. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think obviously podcasting has become really huge. I think it was a low barrier to entry uh, in terms of being able to, uh, teach myself and, and just do it, you know, alone. I didn't need a, any sort of support really. Um, and I think I, it's, it's less stressful for everyone to not be on camera. You know, as soon as you're obviously talking about film, a lot of these people that work in film every day are so nervous to come on my podcast. And I, it's just, it's so sweet, you know, that they work around famous actors all day and then they're terrified to come and talk to little old me about what they do. So I think podcasting for me was just a simple way to test out that creativity, that interview style. It allows me to write a little bit, which I really love. So uh, writing the intros, writing the outros um, allows me to kind of play in that world. You know, so it kind of feels like a hybrid between blogging a little bit and also an interview style, but less stressful than than being on camera. And had you done any podcasting before this? I have done no podcasting before this. This was brand new for me. Um, and it was a really good creative breakthrough. I, I feel like I've been putting it off for probably two years. Um, I had the idea two years ago, and I just was scared to do it. I think just a fear of failure, um, just a fear of putting myself out there and being, quote unquote, creative, uh, you know, that can be such an obstacle, a psychological obstacle. So yeah, I thought, you know what, I can do this. And if it's horrible, I just won't put it out and, and publish it. Um, but at least I can say that I did it and I won't have any regrets. So that's literally what spurred me on. <laughs> so what would you say were like the biggest challenges of starting the show? Oh, I, I would say probably a lack of knowledge um, besides that sort of inner fear. But from a technical perspective, I would say a lack of knowledge. So not knowing where to start, not knowing if I needed gear or where I could do these podcasts. It can be a bit overwhelming, um, but, you know, everyone jokes like YouTube University is was my saving grace. Um, there's just so much free information out there and endless, uh, you know, tutorials on how to do all these things, uh, which I was so grateful for. People just love to give away information and share, which is just amazing The the technical world now uh, with all the technology has really helped you be able to do that stuff for yourself. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I did. I just sort of 
reached out and looked around and just did my own homework. I was in between contracts um, in work. So it was a good time to do something that was cheap and cheerful. And where do you host your uh, actual like MP3 files? I use uh, Simplecast. So I researched a bunch of them. Um, and I, I liked Simplecast just because the interface was quite clean and modern. Some of them, you know, are more user friendly. Actually, it's very user friendly. I wouldn't say that. But some just looked a little more hokey, I would say. Um, and I felt like Simplecast had the uh, kind of most modern interface. And it was just really easy to understand in terms of your analytics, uh, the way they embed the files. And and I, I went with that one. and I love it so far. And what kind of microphones do you use? So I record all of my podcasts at the Vancouver Public Library. And I just want to say public libraries are an undervalued thing for most of us. Uh, I never went to the Vancouver Public Library Um I never had a need to. I would just buy books and uh, anything else. I have my own computer, all of those things that they offer I didn't need. I went to a, a Vancouver podcast sort of um, conference or, you know, like a festival, which was free. And I went and listened. This was before I'd started. Um, and it happened to be at the Vancouver Public Library. And at the end, they said, if you want to use our studios, you can take a tutorial and walk through them. And that blew my mind. I had no idea they were even there. So I went and signed up for a tutorial a couple weeks later and walked through um, and it's unbelievable what they have, like high grade professional equipment, five soundproof studios, one with a control room. Uh, and it has everything that I need, which was such a relief because I think in terms of starting a podcast, you know, there's the technical knowledge that you don't know, but then there's the cost and the barrier to entry financially. And it was zero in this case. You just needed a public library card, which it was just amazing to me. It's still amazing. So I do all of them there in person. Uh, mostly. I haven't done any online yet or, or, you know, remote. And I just book it with my card and then I go and record my podcast. It's, it's kind of surreal. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Here in Seattle, we don't have anything like that. It'd be great to have that in like in every major city. Yeah. At least at your main library, you should definitely uh, reach out to them because it's just, it's a game changer for people that want to get into stuff like that. Um, and don't have the means or the understanding. They have people that are helping. There's everybody in there from like recording audiobooks to their music. Um, and of course, podcasts. So yeah, phenomenal resource. Yeah, a great way, it seems to like really develop and help produce local media. Like you're making a very local show. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And it really, it was a fall from grace for me. I thought, wow, I really have to be a little less snobby about, you know, all of the services that are offered in the city that I was just like, oh, I don't need anything at the library. But now I'm like a dedicated person there. I'm there every other week. They know me by name now. So yeah, definitely. Uh, if you have that in your city, it's invaluable. And then what software do you use to edit your show? You know, I just use GarageBand. Um, they have options. They have Audacity, I think, and a couple others at the library um, that you can use for free through their uh, computer and interface. But I just bring my laptop and plug in directly. And I use GarageBand mainly because I'm familiar with it. Um, just very at a very rudimentary level, but it's very simple. Um, and because it's just audio, I didn't want to overcomplicate things and, and scare myself and overwhelm myself. Um, and I can manage trimming audio. Uh, like at a very basic level in GarageBand. So I use that, uh, which has worked out amazingly well so far. And I'm getting better and better um, at sort of working in it. And then I have an audio engineer friend who I pay hourly um, just to polish and finish off my stuff. If there's things that I can't manage or one of the guests, you know, is sitting a bit too far away or just, just some little glitches or things I want ironed out, I pay him by the hour, which is worth every penny um, to use an hour of his time to kind of get my episode from that basic editor trim into like a final polished piece with the intro song and, and everything on it. 
And so you're just starting out, how has that editing experience being? Sometimes people have a hard time editing themselves. You know, they really want to take out like all those uhs and ums, but sometimes it can sound robotic. Well, you know, I, I think it's been a learning. It's been like a journey for me. So when I started, I mean, obviously I'm only a few in. Um, I was the hardest on my intro because that was the first piece of audio I recorded. I actually don't mind my voice, surprisingly. I'm, I'm quite a critic, but I think I, I was surprised that I thought, oh, I don't sound as awful as I thought I would. So I, I don't mind editing myself. Um, I think I've gotten better at knowing when and where a natural cadence of conversation shouldn't be trimmed. Um, but I've also learned to cut back a lot. So edit more than I did in the beginning. In the beginning, I let them go a little longer. And I think someone gave me some valuable advice is, you know, it's okay to, to trim some of that and make it a bit more digestible for people. Um, so I've definitely learned and, and it's been a learning experience. You, you only get better by doing things. Um, and that's never been my MO. I've always tried to do everything perfectly. And so this has been such a nice growing journey for me to realize like, you're going to learn as you go. You're going to get better as you go. And you're only going to be able to do that by just jumping in. So yeah, I would definitely say it's an evolving thing for me. And so how are you getting your guests? I'm just stalking them. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm definitely mining family and friends first. Uh, and and I'm, I'm taking uh, people that are really open to coming. So if people are a bit hesitant or nervous, I don't really want that at first. Uh, I would rather someone that's really enthusiastic and wants to share. There's also a lot of people that are burnt out and I would say a bit jaded and negative about film and they're tired. And, and those aren't the guests I want necessarily yet either. I really want people that have that spark and that passion and want to share their knowledge. But yeah, I, I know a lot of people in film like this. The city is not that big. Um, and through my husband and just friends, I used to work in advertising uh, and I work in marketing now. So it's easy to sort of suss them out. Um, and yeah, seriously, you can turn around on the street here and bang into people working in film. So it's quite easy to get guests. And then how do you prepare for those interviews? I usually do a one page outline just in, in, in like a Google doc. So I just sort of craft, uh, their sort of career journey. I start with, you know, how they got into film. What I'm finding is, uh, that journey is so different for everyone. Um, I, I don't know what the outside kind of vibe of it is that people think people just go to film school, uh, graduate and start and start in the industry. It's absolutely not that way for many people in film. They've accidentally fallen into it or, um, you know, evolved into it from a, from a kind of more remote role in film and then right to the heart of set. So I sort of dig into that journey. I, I um, find that history out from them, from IMDb, which is sort of like the LinkedIn for film people. Um, I pull everything from that. And then I kind of just Google stalk them. I put their name in there and I just pull up whatever I can find. If they have a website, if there's talk about them, um, you know, films that they've been in, their name comes up. I, I kind of make a one pager. And then towards the end of that one pager, I leave an open-ended area for my kind of curiosity of things on set, you know, craziest location to shoot in, or if they worked with somebody really famous, what was that like? Or if they shot somewhere really amazing, like South Africa or Bulgaria, what was that like? And then I kind of let it naturally sort of progress in that area because I don't want it to be too scripted, but at the same time, I, I kind of want a start and an end point. So it's not just banter necessarily. I think if you're like a famous person, that's an easy thing to do, but people expect a little bit more um, structure, I would say from, from an interview of this sort. You said earlier, there was a little bit hard to start the show. Do you have any advice for folks that are maybe thinking about starting a podcast? 
Uh, you know what? I'd say the first thing is just to listen to as many as you possibly can. I think that ripped the Band-Aid off the mystere or the mysteriousness of it for me. Uh, you know, I just went on and just listened to as many as I could literally fit in in a day. And a couple things came out of that. One, uh, a real inspiration that nobody was really doing exactly what I was doing, which was really nice. I think that's that's one piece of advice is find find an area that that kind of hasn't been explored uh, and you'll have a better leg to stand on. And then just listen to as many as you can because you'll realize that people are out there doing all kinds of stuff. Some are amazing. Some are really boring. Some people are really awkward. Some are like, they should be on television. They're so funny. Um, and that really inspired me that every there's room for everyone. So that would be my biggest piece of advice is just start listening to them and, and realize whether this is something you want to do. I think, you know, there's always hot media and podcasts are definitely that right now. Um, but it's not necessarily for everyone. If you can't kind of sustain and hold that episode yourself, you're going to find it really challenging because it's definitely a marathon, not a sprint, I'm finding. Uh, I think when I launched my first episode and then a couple more, I had a bit of a panic attack one night realizing that I have to keep doing this. Like I've just started and, you know, there's a long road ahead of me. So just making sure I'm, I'm prepared to go that longer journey and not just a flash in the pan. So your show's pretty new. How much time do you think you spend, you know, trying to get the word out there, trying to promote it? Oh, you know what? I just, I just do a kind of my downtime and I've heard that from some of your other guests, you know, if they've got some time to spare, they'll kind of go onto social media and, you know, retweet some relevant tweets or reply to people that have written. Um, you know, I'd probably say when I first started this podcast, my intention was just to do it, to have a creative outlet. But then of course the ego comes in when you launch it and you obviously want people to listen to it and you can't help but want to promote it. So I would say across Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, I, you know, I'd say maybe three to five hours a week of just being present online, uh, you know, posting relevant or retweeting relevant posts. Um, I make some graphics sometimes of quotes from guests or, or little snippets of audio from Simplecast, which I think is great. They let you do recast. You can take little snippets of audio and promote it that way, which is fantastic. Um, and yeah, I mean, some day, some weeks, uh, you know, I'm working, I have two part-time contracts, so I, I just kind of fit it in where I can. Well, it seems like you're pretty well positioned because, you know, you're, uh, have a geographic focus and you have a lot of, pe- a lot of people who will like have contact with each other, you're going to have a lot of word of mouth of the people who you're interviewing and the people in that industry. Yes. And you know what? Uh, Friends and cronies of other people in film love to listen to them. So that's really helped, you know, like if they know one of their buddies is on, they obviously want to support it and listen to it. And then I've got a lot of like moms, like my mom and my mom's friends and like random people that would never know anything about film are just like, wow, this is so interesting. Like I never knew any of this stuff. And I had all these preconceived notions of what it was about. Um, and then I've inspired a couple of people to actually go into film already of just like, this is totally what I want to do. I'm in the wrong job. And you've inspired me to kind of take, take my stab at it. So it's amazing the kind of slices of life that I've already started listening. Um, I don't know who I thought my audience would be necessarily, if it would just be you know, nosy Joe public like me, or if it would be film people. And it's nice to see that it's actually a hybrid of all of them, really. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. It's like, what kind of audience were you thinking about at first? Yeah, I don't think I knew. Uh, I, I was hoping it would be other film people, but at the same time, they already understand that industry. So it's not a surprise necessarily to them. It's not insightful information that they perhaps didn't know before. But I think just just the average person that walks down the street and has no idea what's going on, what the roles are, um, is so curious about how it all works. And it's very mysterious when you're on the street here 
in Vancouver, it's everywhere, but it's very mysterious, right? There's tents, there's big trailers and trucks, there's production assistants blocking the sidewalk and asking you to wait while they do a shot. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's like a mystery, but it's all around you. So I, I find that very, um, oh, like I want to get to the bottom of that and I want to get in behind the veil and, and show people what that stuff is. And sometimes it's really interesting and positive. And sometimes it's shockingly depressing, you know, with hours or health, mental health on, on set with film people, you know, balance, um, all those things, right. Uh, gender stuff, like being able to have a seat at the table as a woman in certain roles, um, I've really found that where I thought this was going has actually gone a lot deeper, which I'm happy about. And do you keep up much with like the podcast industry news? Uh, I do and I don't. I find it's a double-edged sword. If I know too much, then I have more self-doubt. Sometimes knowledge is power and sometimes it's like immobilizing for me. So I, I, I tread in it here and there when I'm feeling inspired. Um, but I, I do know myself. And if I listen too much to other stuff, I'm worried that I will lose my own specific voice by letting those kind of seeds of doubt kind of creep in, um, which can, which can happen easily when you start hearing all of the stuff and, and, and all the other people out there and worry that, Oh, there's so much competition, but I do love the the medium. And I think it's such a great way to access information, you know, in a, in a, in a background manner, if you're driving or walking, it's such a beautiful way to, to listen to people and their stories and, and not have to sit in front of a TV screen. Um, so I, I kind of dabble when, when the spirit moves me, I kind of get in there and listen. And sometimes I leave it alone. And then do you listen to that many podcasts yourself? Yeah, I follow a few, you know, I follow, um, uh, I really love armchair expert, uh, with Dak Shepard mainly because he's just so, even though he's famous, he's so human. Um, and he really, you know, although he's meeting all these celebrities, he also kind of takes the veil away from that mystery of being a celebrity, letting you realize that we're all just people and everybody's got their stuff and it's not really that oh, glamorous and glorious on a day-to-day basis meeting some of your quote heroes, you know, they're just, we're just all people. So I really enjoy that one. Um, I listen to a couple uh, sort of more mysterious ones, like murder mystery kind of ones. Um, nothing specific, just here and there. Uh, but my husband's like a podcast fanatic. So it's always going on in the kitchen. He's lis- he listens to like a dozen of them. Um, yeah. And how do you discover your new shows? I think uh, Apple is really good for having new and noteworthy. I love their new and noteworthy page. I would say that's probably one of the best ways to find new podcasts um, just because they feature them and it's such an easy way to have them curated for you. I really am starting to enjoy Spotify and the way they're promoting and using uh, podcasts as well. They've started an analytics section as well, so it's got a little bit more back end for, for podcast promoters to be able to see. But I, I enjoy kind of using, you know, everybody's listening to music so much on Spotify now that it's natural that you would also listen to your podcast there. So I find them there as well. Um, and I honestly, like I found a bunch more this week and today looking at your site, um, just the way you've curated them all for sort of the Pacific Northwest, I think has been really helpful. Um, so that's a valuable asset as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I try. I, I need to do some more work on it. It's a little bit rough, but it's kind of like a beta. <laughs> No, it's great. It's great. I, I, I think it's awesome. And it's a nice way to promote kind of that region. So including us Canadians. So thank you. Yes. Well, because, you know, I figure we're we're all so close, but we also feel kind of far away sometimes. It's, it'd be nice to have the region shrink a little bit. It's true. I agree. And, and you know, there's always been talk about making, what are they, they're calling that region uh, sort of like BC down to wherever it is, California, calling it its own little region. If it is Cascadia, yeah. um, we'd be game. <laughs> And so how can people find more information about your show? 
Well, I mean, I have a URL, which is ventropolispodcast.com, uh, or, or which is hosted through Simplecast, but I've redirected it, uh, which is another piece of advice I would give uh, just for anybody starting out. Um, you know, it's always good to promote your own URL, even though you're on a lot of these uh, foundational sites, just because it's more memorable and on brand. And if you ever change uh, who you're hosting with, you'll still have a memorable URL that can carry with you. So yeah, ventropolispodcast.com. And I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. And, you know, the nice thing about choosing sort of a unique name, which Ventropolis is kind of a play on words of like, I'm a, we're a metropolis, but we're really not that big of a city. Um, and sort of playing on the Portlandia thing, this pseudo imaginary world, you know, given there's so much film and television shot here, it's all around us. I thought Ventropolis was kind of a cute play on words for that little bit, you know, like a fantasy world. Um, and the nice thing about choosing that name is it's really ownable. So when I go on Google now, the whole first page of my search on Ventropolis is me, um, which has been really helpful. So I would also recommend that for people starting out is to really think about your name. Uh, you know, I could have gone, you know, like a play on words or, or being a bit more quippy uh, to do with film, but I find you're then with the masses and it's harder to search you out. So having a really ownable different name is, is like a great leg up. Yeah, that's been another theme of the show is people saying, well, I kind of regret what I named my show, but now I'm kind of stuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would, But you know what else? I went to a podcast seminar and they also said you can belabor the name and the graphics forever, but content is king. You know, at the end of the day, it's really about the content. People aren't looking at your avatar and thumbnail and listening to like looking at your name and deciding whether you're a valuable episode podcast to subscribe to. Right. So really content is king. Um, and you just got to do it. You know, you, you can sit on the sidelines like I did for way too long, or you can just jump in and, and it's much more fun in the actual, you know, proverbial podcast pool than it is sitting on the edge of it, wondering what it's like. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm really appreciate it.